In the Fuzzy Memories podcast, we celebrate the good, the rad, and the fugly of the 80s and 90s. We're three latchkey kids who made it out alive. And in each episode, we break down all the culture that popped one year at a time. Whether it's the birth of legends. I'm Lyme disease free today and I have Whitney Houston and MTV to thank. (laughs) Or audacious moves. Imagine also the the poor Golden Gate Bridge. You turn 75 and people have a party on you. I don't want that. Or even confusing PSAs. In the stop, drop, and roll. I mean, we would, I assume as an adult, I would catch on fire weekly. All the time! (laughs) We've got a take that will make you laugh. We've also got thoughts on all sorts of random phenomena and the most unmitigated of golf. Why sharks can't be trusted, people can't be trusted, and rivers can't be trusted. (laughs) It's collusion. It's of the highest degree! Uh Uh-huh. You were counseling me to start my remarks with, first of all, bitch. <laughs> that one, everyone in that room would have snapped to attention. It's going to be basically coffee lids, shark revenge, and then maybe like Matt gets. <laughs> we need to do something about him. Join us every other Wednesday to celebrate the hits, the misses, and the misfits of the weirdest decades. If I could tell my 14-year-old self from 1990 that I would be eating in a cheesecake factory in, in Beverly, Beverly Hills, I'd be like, we did it. We, we did it, Joe. We did it. <laughs> Listen and subscribe to Fuzzy Memories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. Hello, and welcome to Broads and Books, the podcast with one unique theme, four handpicked book recommendations, and two broads. I'm Erin. And I'm Amy. And this is a special Broads and Books bonus episode. Today on the Broads Talk Books with, we've got Kate Milliken. I recommended her short story collection, If I'd Known You Were Coming, in episode 26, where we talked about our favorite small press books. Plus, Kate has a novel coming out this month called Kept Animals. So during this, we discovered that Kate is hilarious and fun and the absolute perfect person to talk to right now. Yes, she will make you feel delighted that you spent this half hour with her. Absolutely. You'll find all the books that she talks about in the show notes. And now here's our interview with Kate Milliken. remember as a kid or a teen what your favorite book was oh my gosh I was such a poser (laughs) (laughs) I mean what I was such a faker I was like this fake literary my parents were theater people oh my mother was a well-regarded playwright my father ran a theater company so I liked to lay around with my hand on my forehead looking at Shakespeare (laughs) (laughs) You know, that and, is an image. And, that is great. Right. <laughs> and Beckett, Samuel Beckett. Um, oh I think That's I remember. Yeah, it's a lot to live up to. It's also really instructional. You know, I learned so much about storytelling from watching them direct and produce plays and about story arc and um, breaking a story down into three acts and dialogue. I learned so much about dialogue from, oh, from watching them act. 
Uh, oh, also, you know, and then when I really started to read what I like to read, of course, there was the Babysitter's Club and oh, Nancy yeah. Drew and, you know, the stuff that really spoke to my girlhood heart. <laughs> Once, you Once I got past the posing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've also talked about a couple times um, classics that we struggled with or that we feel like might have impeded our, the beginning of our reading careers. For us, it was Moby Dick. <laughs> Oh my gosh, yes. you know, my son read Moby Dick. What? He's nine years old. Okay, uh, granted, it was, Whoa. I know, it was, Whoa. I couldn't get through Moby Dick. It was, the, it's that he read the annotated version, I have to tell you, but okay. the whole story is there. And I know it's, I think it's Joan Didion's favorite book. Like she claims what? to read that book like four times a year or something. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I, I couldn't get through Moby Dick, so I'm with you there. I was also not a big, um, Charles Dickens, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. that really turned me off from literature. Tolstoy, yeah. <laughs> you know, those books that are sort of doorstops. And here I've sort of written a doorstop book, but. No, 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 no. no, 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 no. <laughs> but then there was the, I loved Henry James. I love Virginia Woolf. Um, oh, Madame Bovary. I like, you know, it, it's like the babysitter's club of classic. <laughs> <laughs> Nabokov, there's another one, which of course I had to like have a teacher explain to me was not really how things should be. But I am yeah, fascinated yeah, yeah. by that, you know, that dynamic of power struggles and uh yeah, so those those are the classics that I loved and those that I hated. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good list. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, thinking about books that you did enjoy, were you either when you were um, in your poser stage or after, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, as you were, uh, you know, coming into writing, were there any books or writers that you think made you want to write yourself? Mm. I mean, well, here, I, this is such a, God, who just had, Lauren Groff just had a great essay about Lori Moore and, oh. and finding her voice through Lori Moore. And I just, it completely spoke to me. I can't remember where that essay was. It was just like last week. Um, but it, her book, self-help, I really did read like a manual on how to become a writer. I had, that was, I, that, I was an undergrad at that point. I didn't know I wanted to write until I was an undergraduate. Mm-hmm. Um, I went into college a year early. I didn't finish high school. I'll talk about being a poser, but I, <laughs> I know <laughs> my children won't listen to this. Um, no, I, I just, I had kind of a turbulent high school career. And then I found out that this little liberal arts school in Boston took, um, took people early. They had a five-year program that's now defunct that if you didn't, if you oh felt like you were ready to leave high school early, you could apply. And so oh it was the gosh. only college that I applied to. Yeah. Um, that's incredible. Incredible. Yeah. There at, at the time, I think Leslie University did it too. There were like five of them, but I really wanted to go to Boston. I wanted to get as far away from California as I could. <laughs> that works. Like everybody, right? Yeah. Of course, I immediately went back as I could. But um, so I did that, and it was taking. I I thought I was going as a film major. I applied as a film major, and I um, immediately failed media studies. And I was like, this isn't working out. Uh-huh. Um, so I started writing for the school newspaper and I started taking short story writing classes and it was being introdu- introduced to Lori Moore and Pam Houston and Alice Monroe, uh, Raymond Carver, um, Amy Hempel, just sort of the minimalists of the time, yeah. uh, that made me think, oh, these aren't so long. I can do this. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
I can write short stories. So I wrote, I wrote a lot of prose poems. I, um, I think I left undergrad with, I know I did with a big thesis of poetry actually. Um, that I, I wouldn't even attempt to do now. It's really now my, my mind can't control itself that well. So yeah. That's cool that you had, um, women writers front and center. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that was a big part of what made me want to write was this, I had a great teacher um, who just took me under her wing and showed me those books. And I think if I hadn't had those female voices right up front, you know, Raymond Raymond Carver being the exception, but at the same time, I remember feeling like I was reading Carver to learn how not to live. Yeah. instead of like how yeah. to write necessarily it was just sort of like this is who not to be <laughs> like learn your lessons from me and um yeah so that was a, that was sort of a different reading experience there was all James Joyce actually in terms of male writers was a, a has continues to be a big influence on me his oh, story yeah. the the dead yeah, um, yeah. that I feel like I just absolutely steal that arc of a story for everything I do. I just think that the trajectory of putting people in these sort of artificial circumstances of a party or a celebration and then having them evolve, not because of it, but on the other side of it, Mm -hmm. like having to sit with themselves. I love that story structure. Thinking a little bit about your reading life now, uh, we're always interested to know first how many books are on your to be read pile oh my God. and if you're willing to share a few. <laughs> oh, it's offensive. I mean, I keep, I keep like reorganizing them in these stacks of like, I'm going to read these yes. together and then I'm going to, and then I move them over to another area by the couch. And that yes. will immediately, they're like, then they'll osmose into me if they fall. Yes. You know, it's horrible. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. Them. Yes. Uh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm reading like four books right now. Oh, wow. I know. And I'm keeping them straight. I'm actually, that's something that's evolved for me is the ability to do that. It used to be, I'd have to I'd open one book and I'd have to finish it or not finish it. I have, I have this horrible habit of quitting at like three quarters of the way through, which is really too far. Like, I feel like if you're going to stop, you know, if you're going to stop reading a book, like give up on like chapter two or three. Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard you guys talk about the fact that you're all for like not reading what you don't have time to read. Like that's not yes. just, it's not yeah. holding you. It's funny. I kind of, I recognize it in, you know, students that I've worked with and in myself, there's like an emotional place that like a crux point that happens at three quarters where it's like, if you really haven't gotten to the heart of the story, by that point, that thing that really needs to be unearthed, mm-hmm. then the reader lets go because you let go. Like you didn't stay in the face of the fire. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and that's, it's, 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 it's not our yeah. Reading. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Come on. Do the work. Yeah. Do better. Come on. Well, the books that, uh, that you have finished. Yes, uh, yeah. Is, has there been a, a book that surprised you recently? You know, I, what surprised me recently, I was looking at what I read sort of in the last few years, and I realized I hadn't read any men for a long time. And I, it wasn't like a conscious decision. There was just a fast, these were just, you know, Lenny Zumas and um, just these writers that kept coming up for me. Um, yeah. Mother Winter, that book. Um but then lately, in like the last few months, I've been reading all of these first-person narratives, uh, fiction, but first-person narratives that I realized, looking at them, they're all by gay male authors. And I thought, oh, well, this wow. is interesting. Yeah. Like, 
Lie With Me by uh, Philip Basson. I think I'm mm-hmm. saying that right. Call Me By My Name by Andre yeah. Asimov. Oh, yeah. And I've got to read the follow-up to that now. Um, yeah. On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a poet. Yeah, Ocean Vong. There's a poet, Sam Sachs, that I just got turned on to at a, a literary Ziziva event in, uh, mm-hmm. that I went to. And I heard him read. And he was so funny. And the emotional depth in his books. He's got a great collection called Bury It. Um, and I'm listening to Baldwin's Giovanni's Room right now. And it was just sort of like all of these things yeah. <laughs> at once. And I'm, I'm like, why is this where my my brain is skewing? And I think it's because I'm there's something about the intimacy in these books that mm-hmm. after having written, you know, a big family narrative, I really wanted that closeness of voice. And there's a possession of like body connection to that voice that these narratives, because they've, they've had to, like they have to own their experience in a way that I really appreciate. Um, mm. Yeah. So they're, they've just been, they've yeah, been, absolutely. Oh, good. Well, they've just, they've been, <laughs> I didn't even work on that. <laughs> they've been, they've just been gripping me. Like I just, yeah, I don't know. I'm looking forward to reading Garth Greenwell's book. That's mm, both yeah, of them. I've, I've not read him yet. So yeah, I just added him to my list as well. Yeah. I, I've missed him. So far oh, I've read it. Yeah. 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 Okay. He's worth it. Yeah, okay. for sure. When J- James Salter, have you guys read yes. a sport in a pastime? Like those, yeah, there's just, I really would love to be able to write a first person book. It's something that I've shied away from. I've done it in stories, but. I think that's, I'm looking to those voices for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you normally find your book recommendations? You know, I, I guess the first, like, well, recently I'm just back from a booksellers convention. So it was really mm-hmm. fun to meet authors there and learn about uh, some new books that are coming out. But also my, you know, I'm lucky enough to have an agent who reps all these amazing writers. So I sort of oh, see cool. what they're, yeah. they're reading and what they're doing. Yeah. Um, Brandon Taylor, who's got that new book, Real Life, uh, we share an agent. And then uh, Amy Jo Burns has this new book, Shiner. So I look at the stuff that they're reading. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, and I kind of assume that they're, they're, they're in it as much as I am. And they yeah. yeah find great books that way. So uh, Celia Lasky's Under the Rainbow, I just picked mm-hmm. up. Jenny Ophel's Weather. There. These are all at the top of my to-be-read stack right now. Um, my current stack. My current, yeah. <laughs> right. So that would be the stack on my bedside. There's yeah. another one on my desk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. One well, next to the couch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, thinking about um, your books, uh, we recommended your story collection in episode 26, where we talked about small presses. That's and right. we were just curious uh, do you have a favorite small press book or a small press itself? Oh, I do have a favorite small press. I love the opportunity to talk about this too. It's um, Why There Are Words. Uh, it's run by the writer Peg Alford Purcell, who is herself an amazing writer. She's got a book called Show Her a Flower, a Bird, a Shadow. Um, and her latest collection is A Girl Goes Into the Forest. And she just, yes, they're wonderful. So those are her books, but she also, her, her press, um, WTAW Press is what it's called. Okay. Um, and Peg and I have been friends for years, but she's just, she puts out two books a year. Um, oh, so cool. They're wonderful. They're really, they're beautifully made um, short stories and novels. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Now, Angela Mitchell, you know, Sarah Stone. Yeah. Go yeah. ahead. What do you think, you know, thinking about that press that's run by your friend and mm-hmm. um, your own experiences, what do you think it is about working with small presses? That's, that's great for both authors and readers. 
Well, the difference, I mean, because I, I, now I've had this experience of working with Scribner and that's yeah. been mm-hmm. incredible. It's such a, it's, it's almost like a, a bigger journey. There was this immediacy to the uni- working with University of Iowa Press. It was like, mm-hmm. you won this prize. And five months later, the book was out and you, wow, that's a that is, that's so fast. Yeah. Wow. Was, I should, I should, I'm jumping there. You know what? They called me in January and the book was out in October. Still, that's it's it's fast. So it is. It's a quick turnaround, and there is. I almost appreciate that. Like there isn't enough time for any like anxiety to build up. It's just sort of like you ride the excitement of this is so fun. And I know, you know, the the way things turn over with why there are words because they are only doing two books a year. They can they can really um, focus on those authors and 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 make sure they're positioning as well as they can. And it's like a family experience. I, I'm lucky enough to feel that way with Scribner too, but that's it's so definitely, cool. that's like a family relationship built over a much longer period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, yeah, the biggest difference yeah. I've noticed. Yeah. 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 Well, we, we know you have another book, Kept Animals, coming out April 21st. Yes. And we wanted to know what books inspired you for the writing of that, for the creation? Sure. I mean... You can probably see Annie Prue's influence in there. <laughs> uh, my romanticism of Wyoming. Um, Aaron Kyle's The God of Animals was a book that I read right before I started uh, writing this. And it her, takes place on a small horse ranch. Um, I believe it's in Montana. Yeah. And um, I, I, because I'd ridden horses as a kid, I and I hadn't been able to get back to them as an adult or as a parent. And... I wanted to write my way back there uh, because oh. of, because of those, those kinds of books. Uh, 10,000 saints also by Eleanor Henderson was really yeah. influential because it had so many different perspectives and it was that same um, age group. And it was that same time period. She was writing about the late eighties, early nineties, the, um, the straight edge movement. And here I wanted to write about the early nineties pothead movement in California. But, <laughs> but uh, it, you know, I, it told me that you could write a really uh, propulsive novel from multiple points of view and have it be very cinematic. Um, I love that book. I actually wrote her a fan letter about that book and we ended up oh. becoming friends. Yeah. Oh, wow. that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. She blurred my book for me. That's fantastic. Yeah. We yeah. love that when we hear about, you know, authors just being cool people. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, okay. Well, thinking about, um, you know, meeting with readers in the past and maybe as you're planning this, hopefully if coronavirus doesn't screw everything up, coming <laughs> tour, um, what do you think, have you had a particularly memorable or weird fan interaction that you would be willing to share with us? Oh, well, I had I, I had a small press book. I don't have any fans. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. We are. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, well, this hasn't been weird. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. That's yeah. kind. That's kind. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we yeah. we have time though. We have time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't set that bar for us. <laughs> I will. I will say I did have that baptism by fire experience where they send you to a an enormous cavernous Barnes and Noble and nobody shows up. Oh no. Yeah. That, uh. And that was, that was both of the Iowa award winners. We were in Iowa for the book fair, uh, the festival where they sort of feature you. And then they said, well, you should go to Cedar Rapids. And I was like, Cedar oh, Rapids. No. Like what? Mm-mm, mm-mm, yeah. Mm-mm. We live in Iowa. Cedar Rapids is not a place. <laughs> well, then you know that Barnes and Noble. Yeah. It was like, we went yeah. past, you know, <laughs> it was like cornfield after cornfield. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. there's a Barnes and Noble. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah. yeah, I didn't know who was going to come. And nobody did. Well, actually, one person came and it was a friend of a friend sent him. And it ended up just being the three of us. And he now has a book, actually. He and I kept in touch. Oh. His name is Keith Lesmeister. Like a fan that came and was inspired. Let's say, yeah, a good interaction. So I'm sure something weird will happen. Oh, for sure. Still in that vein of fan interactions, and you mentioned one, but have you had the chance to meet anyone that you really wanted to with an author or somebody else? Oh, definitely. Joy Williams was somebody I really wanted to meet. I went to the Tin House Summer Raiders Workshop to work with her. And I have this thing happen. There's been actually a couple writers. I, I know I had several meals with Joy and I got I learned a lot from her. But this like white heat panic overtakes me. <laughs> and it's just like a blinding white light. When I think about sitting with her, I can sort of see her sunglasses and I know she talked. <laughs> like I even... <laughs> Oh my God. Like the anxiety is so, uh, that happened with Jacqueline Woodson too. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And Carolina de Robertas. Like, whoa. I don't, I'm like, I walked away and I immediately called a friend and I was like, I don't know what I just said. (laughs) (laughs) What just happened? So that was, yeah. So we're just going to say that those went well. Yes. I'm sure I was brilliant. Yeah. I dare them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As you, uh, you know, after you published uh, your story collection and mm-hmm. since then, have you found that your love or joy of reading has changed in any way? I definitely read differently. I don't yeah. think, you know, I, I feel like I was a, a really good critical reader. I was so good at dissecting books as a grad student. And then nice. this mind numbing thing of, having small children happened (laughs) and I stopped knowing how to read (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I've got, you know, when that collection came out um, that had me reading differently. Cause I, then now I feel like I'm always reading for the next thing. Like what, what's going to inspire me next? What do I want to emulate? I'm looking, I'm looking for those books that, that speak to what I need to do, which is sort of narcissistic and selfish, but um, (laughs) I imagine that's easy to do, you know, Mm -hmm. especially as you keep going in your career that your maybe your perspective changes a little bit like that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, and I don't feel like I want to write the same kind of book like that. I feel like there are people who are really good at that, um, who can keep coming up with these multiple perspective books. I mean, Louise Erdrich and Ann Patchett, like they're so rich in their characters and they're big, beautiful books every time. Whereas I feel like I have to sort of uh, vacillate to hold my own interest and to challenge myself. Like I need formal challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's why I'm reading some of the books I'm reading right now to sort of yeah. do the opposite of what I just did. What would you say is one book that if you could have everyone read what would that book be? One? I get one? Yeah. Um. <laughs> I mean, there could be more, but yeah. yeah. You know, one book that I felt like I just wanted everybody to read, but it was such a challenging book was um, Lacey Johnson. Lacey, I think she goes by Lacey M. Johnson. Uh, her collection of essays that came out, I guess it was 2018, called The Reckonings. Mm. And it's all about social justice and also the intersection of that with environment. She wrote, she's got an incredible memoir called the other side, which is about her. uh, She was basically held in captivity by a boyfriend who 
abused her, raped her. And she wrote this incredible memoir, The Other Side, it's called, um, about that experience. And then she was at a reading for that book. And a woman came up and said, don't something like, don't you want to just kill him? Like, wouldn't that be justice? And she thought, no, because he actually escaped. He's like living in Europe and has a family. And what? Yeah. I mean, just this insane story. So she wrote this collection of essays in response to that woman saying, wouldn't that be justice? And her whole examination of what justice looks like in this country, um, wow. how how skewed it is, how wrong it is. It's an incredible collection of essays. That, that sounds I just, amazing. Yeah. I just wanted to see it win all kinds of prizes. I think she's she's just absolutely brilliant. Wow. wow. Okay, well, added to both of our lists. Yeah, no doubt. Go. Wow, <laughs> both of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, as you, uh, as you know, um, we also, besides talking about books, we talk about pop culture. Mm-hmm. Obsessed with. Mm-hmm. Do you have something right now that you are obsessed with, whether it's TV or another podcast or, or anything like that? Music? Uh, am I allowed to be obsessed with TikTok? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. I'm just kidding. I'm not obsessed with TikTok at all, but we keep, I keep looking at my children and my husband, my husband says they're stuck in a loop. Like they just keep doing all these TikTok dances, but um, only our, only our oldest is allowed to use TikTok, but uh, it's actually, I mean, it, it really is YouTube for attention deficit disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, like yeah. Yes, yes. There's a great clip going around right now that a guy did of like a kid. He's an adult, but he's pretending to be a kid in a store and yeah. he just keeps breaking down into TikTok dances. He's like, stuck. Yeah, he like picks something up and then he does a dance and then he goes back and then he does. And I'm like, that is so accurate. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> There's You have to watch the one with Elizabeth Warren and Kate McKinnon oh, if you can did. find that. Yeah, did you see that? Okay. <laughs> that one. Oh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be watching that for the next four years. But yeah. so much. Yes. It's soothing to watch. It is. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, other than that, I really, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit of a pop culture phobe. I, oh. there's one podcast I, that I really feel like balances out my life, which is the mom rage podcast. Mom rage. Mom rage. It's Eden Lepucky, the novelist and Amelia Morris. And they talk about books, fiction, nonfiction, and they just have just these great conversations about having little kids and like trying to balance their lives as women. And it's an excellent podcast. They have great guests. Oh. They just had Peggy Ornstein on. Um, and then what is the only oh honestly like television I haven't known what to do since Fleabag was over or uh, Russian Doll like I don't know what to do with myself now so if you guys have any well I have a TBR pile I've got to get to so there's Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. we just talked about Fleabag I think in our last episode yeah yeah it was just after that, it was kind of like mic drop. And yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. There's the world before you watched Fleabag, yes. and there's the world after. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a bummer. I guess you won't be watching anymore. TV. No, unless yeah. you guys have a recommendation. <laughs> like, what are you loving? Hmm. Gosh. What are you loving, Aaron? Well, I mean, Shrill was another one that I yeah. loved recently oh, with Aidy Bryant. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yes. I've got to put that on the list. Yeah. yeah it's actually a real quick My one, sister- too, but yep. really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna have to watch that. And both seasons are out Excellent. now, so you can yes. get into that. Yeah, that I one. can binge. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, while I'm in quarantine, I will. That's yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, Kate, those are our questions. Thank you so much. Yeah. We had a great time chatting with you. I hope this. I hope this first podcast of yours went okay. 
I think it did. You tell me. Yeah, it's a it went bright, great. It's a yeah. bright white light. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was a delight. It was such a delight. She was a delight. I was delighted to speak. (laughs) (laughs) I can't use the word delighted enough to describe that. Weird. It's like the the word sounds weird after you keep saying it, but it it applies to what just happened. It is. It is. And I love that um, she was so worried because it was her first podcast interview. Like, first of all, we're touched. Yes, this would be your first podcast interview. That means a lot to us. Mm -hmm. Second of all, you're like a pro. So I don't know what you were worried about. You're nailing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I loved how she started off describing herself as a poser in high school. (laughs) I also felt like, um, do you remember when we talked to Mona Wad and Mona talked about the friend in high school that she tried to be, Danielle, goth Danielle. I feel like goth Uh Danielle in high school, Kate would have got along real well. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if we were making our own high school of authors, we could make Kate yes. play the part of Danielle. Yes. Yeah. That'd have been great. Carrying her Shakespeare around. Yeah. yeah. And who, I mean, I feel like a lot of readers and writers kind of went through that where you went through this phase where you felt like you were so intellectual and above mm-hmm. it all. And oh, I read these kind of books. And then you like, realize so it, there's so much to us of like, when we're younger, we're trying to play the role of who we think we should be. And yes. maybe she, you know, she recognized that she loved reading, but she, so she felt like she had to go to this other level, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also loved the part of her story about in college that she had that great teacher that introduced yes. her to Lori Moore and all these other incredible women writers. Cause yes. we don't hear that a lot. A lot of yeah. times you hear that women writers had to kind of seek out their own syllabus of women writers. Absolutely. Yeah. So it was so refreshing to hear that someone helped her out in that way and really gave her a path to write. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So great. I also love that she called her to be red pile offensive. It's a great description <laughs> <laughs> that I feel like we should be using to describe our own. And yeah, yeah. mine is very offensive. Yeah. I also can relate to just moving it around and stacking it up differently. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. That's exactly what I do. It'll look better. And also, you know, she mentioned maybe she thinks she'd read it by osmosis, which I kind of feel like I try uh-huh. to do, too, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and first of all, the whole interview was great, but we wanted to take a special moment to mention that her book tour was canceled. As we all know, everything is totally different in the world now than it was even a month ago. Mm -hmm. Um, Tons of book launch tours have been canceled. So right now, if you go to her website, you can order the book there. Um, You can get it through the mail uh, or, you know, support one of your independent bookstores and get it there. But um, that's going to be the best source. And that's the best way to help out authors that during this time don't have the same opportunities that other people did to, you know, introduce their work to all sorts of new and different audiences. Absolutely. So. And, and since we know right now, you know, libraries and stores are closed, like going online, finding where you can, uh, where you can get this, that'll be such a great way for you to get something good to read as well as support her in the process. I do believe that just this last week, uh, Oprah magazine named this um, novel, one of the best ones uh, to read in 2020. So fantastic. Yeah. So that's that's amazing. Yeah. Huge congratulations. And, uh, you know, we agree. We agree. And also we got to talk to her. So exactly. Yes. We love that.
I love it when authors are as great as their work. Yes. And so she was such a yeah, she was. As we she saw. Was, she was a delight. <laughs> a delight. <laughs> a delight. Well, guess what? We will be back. But in the meantime, you can head to our website, broadsandbooks.com, and check out all of our bonus episodes. It's the perfect time to get listening if you're sitting in, say, quarantine and you need something to do. Absolutely. Like we said, this is a new series of bonus episodes we're providing. Are you sure that you've seen them all? Because we had Julia Phillips, we had Mona Watt, we had Chanel Benz, we had Angie Kim, and there's more coming all the time. All the time. So don't miss. Don't do it. Don't miss it. Yeah. You can even subscribe now if you're not already subscribed. And you'll get them sently sent. What? You get them sently, which is a new thing. (laughs) I tried to just, you know, bridge the two words together. I like it. You're you're making making quarantine words. Yeah. (laughs) That's a great idea. Yeah. We'll, we'll develop a few, whole new lexicon for quarantine, yes. inclu- including Scently. Yep. If you subscribe, you get them Scently. Yes. Which is sent directly. <laughs> Thank you for explaining. Yeah. You're welcome. Happy reading. I'm up again. Same night, another dream. Before trying this recording thing, I didn't remember much of anything of these dreams. I didn't remember much from any of the women. And one night of doing this, and it's broken things open. The dreams are, they're in me, and they're they're coming out of me, and... Talk to me. I am not broken. I am the most whole, most real. Their despair. I cause their despair. I wait for the word. I wait for the word. Witch. 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 Look at the mad woman in her cage. She was a woman with holes inside her. That was the heaviest factor. The final evidence. The heart of the issue. Somehow, you understand this. You. You. You hear me. Wherever you are, whatever this is, you... This isn't a dream journal anymore. It's not. That's just, it's just fact. <laughs> and because now this is, this is some sort of record. What are these dreams? Maybe there's a better question. Who are these women? Weird Woman is a Broads and Books production. All nine episodes are available January 10th. Listen and subscribe to Weird Woman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. That's W-Y-R-D Woman, wherever you listen to podcasts.